Last weekend, uh, Doug here was talking about joy. And it was a great message. I listened to it this week. Just a great message on joy. But I want you to think, if you had to rate yourself, or if others had to rate you, this week, this past week, of how joyful you were, on a scale from 1 to 10, okay, 10 meaning you were just beaming all week, and people that saw your face just were lit up, you know, all the way down to 1, where you... They were excited till they saw you and they got depressed. <laughs> you know, what, what, uh, what number would you give yourself if you were to rate yourself or the people that know you? What number would they have rated you this week in your joy from 1 to 10? I want you to think about that. Just give yourself a number. And if you'd like to participate, how many would say that, yeah, this was kind of a downer week. Um, how, many would, how many are like in the 1 to 3 range? Of joy, okay? It's good you're honest. Um, bad if you're unjoyful liars. Um, but, uh, but at least, you know, you're being honest about it because we have those weeks. Now, how about you would say you're in the middle there, four to seven, somewhere in there? Okay, that's a lot of you. How many would say, you know, I was, I was really joyful this week, eight to ten? Wow, that's the most of any service. It's because you guys all sleep in. Um, it's a, it's this joy now. Um, I was at a, I, last weekend I was at a conference, I was speaking at a men's conference, and it was interesting because the worship leader gets up and he starts singing these songs, you know, leading them in worship, and then in the middle of his worship set, he stops and he goes, hey, how many of you are glad that Jesus Christ is in your life? And just about everyone raised their hand. And then he goes, someone needs to tell your face that. <laughs> because it was true. I mean, he's up there trying to, you know, get his people into it, and they're all just, you know, singing, their arms crossed. You ever walked into a church where it just seemed like everyone was mad? <laughs> I, I've been there. You know, you ever been to places where it just seems like, wow, it seems like everyone's mad at something in this room. And, and, and it seems like the people who had been going to church longer are, are madder than everyone else. And it's like, wow, why would anyone be attracted to that? Where's the joy? And you've got to ask yourself, you know, if, if someone came in here who didn't believe in God and they saw your face, would they be attracted to Christianity? You know, what they say, wow, that person seems to have a peace and a joy about them that I don't have. And, and while I say that, this is, this is one of my struggles. I mean, this is a, you know, I've talked about this before. You know, I'm not a naturally smiley, cheery person. And, uh, and I, I used to kind of just excuse that as, well, that's just not my personality. But it's not about personality. It's about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness. That means the second one. This is important stuff to be joyful. Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. And so the Bible says that I should be rejoicing in the Lord always. So then how come I'm not? Well, it's because I choose not to. And I figured this out. This week it's really hit me as I've been preparing for this. I realized, you know why I am not joyful throughout the whole day, you know, every week? It's because I don't take time to rejoice in the Lord. I don't. I, I don't. I don't take time in the middle of my day and think, you know what? I've got it good. I've got a relationship with the Creator. I mean, I was destined, I should spend eternity paying for everything I've done wrong. That's what I ought to, that's, that's, that's where I was. I was an enemy of God. And now suddenly, because of my faith in Jesus, all of my sins wiped away. Everything I've done wrong is erased. It's gone. 
I don't have to pay for it. Jesus paid for it on the cross. And now any moment I'm going to die and then I enter into the presence of God and I spend eternity with him. He's my father. And just a thought that God in heaven loves me and calls me his child. See, I can sit here and think about it and talk about it and go, man, I don't really care what happens now. Now I can get fired up, but do I do that during the week? No. Why? It's my sin. Why? Because I'm a driven person and I wake up in the morning and I think, what can I accomplish today? You know, some of you are the same way. You go through the day and you just want to get as many things done as possible. You want to do as many things at once, all at once. I mean, just this, 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 this. Get all these tasks done so I can go to bed at night and go, yeah, I did a lot. You know? And I accomplished a lot. And so you're driven that way and you think subconsciously, well, then how can I take a minute to stop and think about God and how good I have it? How can I take minutes out of my day and rejoice? What does that accomplish? I mean, really, what, what does that accomplish? So subconsciously in our mind, we just think, well, that's a waste of time then. I have more important things to do. And yet, it, and let me tell you, it accomplishes a lot. It enables us to be the people that God wants us to be. It's just that we're always so focused on doing. And yet God says, you know, these are the fruit I want to see in your life. And so by rejoicing in the Lord always, that, that, that fruit of joy comes out of our lives. If we, I mean, imagine if you took a minute out of every hour of the day that you're, you're awake. What if you took a minute out of every hour and you seriously rejoiced in your salvation? Don't you think that would change every day? Every hour consistently you did that. I was, um, I was speaking at a Bible conference a couple years ago. Uh, with John MacArthur. He was speaking in the morning and I'd speak at night, and, uh, which was kind of intimidating. Those of you who know John MacArthur, a very well-known speaker, pastor, just one of my heroes on this earth. And, uh, and afterwards, I, a couple weeks later, I went to his office and we were just talking. And there's, there's like an intimidation factor, you know, going in there and just going, man, what did he think of my speaking? Is he going to yell at me? Anyways, uh, I get in there and uh, we start talking. He goes, you know what, Francis? I, I just got to say, I, I love listening to you speak. He goes, it was just so fun. He says, it seemed like you, you had, the way you laughed up there. He goes, it was fun watching you laugh and, and the way you told jokes and got everyone laughing and just your sense of humor. I mean, he goes, you're funny. He goes, I used to be funny. <laughs> I go, no, you know. But uh, he, he says it. He goes, he goes, I used to be funny. He goes, I used to run in all the circles that you, ran, you run in now, you know, and going to these different places. I'm looking at your name in these different places. He goes, that's what I used to do. He goes, but he goes, over time, everyone starts criticizing. Everyone starts nitpicking every little thing you say and do. He goes, and then, you know, people attack you. And then things in life just are so painful and so serious. He goes, that pretty soon nothing's funny anymore. He says, so be careful and don't lose what you've got. And I thought, man, what a powerful statement from a guy I respect so much. Just said, don't lose that. And it's so easy for any of us to lose that, isn't it? Just to get so burdened with all these things and all these criticisms and all these angry people, whatever it is, and it's like, I'm going to lose that joy, that life, that laughter. And I tell you, that's exactly what will happen in our lives if we do not take time to rejoice. And that's what this passage is about, and I, I relate to it so well. Luke 10, verse 17 Remember, Jesus has just sent the 70 out on this mission. And here in verse 17, they're coming back, or the 72, however you interpret it. 70 
2, in verse 17, it says, Luke 10, 17, The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Isn't that interesting? The disciples come back and they're so fired up. Because, okay, you've you got to put yourself in their shoes. Remember, these are people, these are ordinary people. They remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about how Jesus just went up to them and said, follow me. Remember that? And one guy goes, well, I had to go bury my dad first. He goes, no, you follow me. You know, the guy says, well, let me say goodbye to my family. He says, hey, you don't put your hand to the plow and look back. Follow me. You remember, these are people that are just living life, and Jesus says, follow me. And then he sends them on this mission. So imagine if this is you. You're living your life, whatever job you do, whatever you do during the week, and he says, no, you follow me. Let's say for a week he sends you out. And he gives you the power. He says, you go to this city, you start preaching to them, and you can heal the sick. I mean, what would that be like? You go into some city you've never been to. Okay, let's say he sends you to Hemet. Okay, and you go into this town. And suddenly, you have the power to heal anyone that's sick. What would that be like? You're sent on this mission, and suddenly you see this person paralyzed, and you touch them, and they walk again. I mean, you've got to put yourself in their shoes. This person here is dying of cancer. You lay your hands on them. They get up. They're fine. People come to you, you know, and they're possessed by demons, speaking in these voices, convulsing, foaming at the mouth. And you say, in the name of Jesus, be gone. The demon leaves them. The guy gets up and says, thanks. I mean, it's pretty exciting stuff, right? And so these 72 come running back to Jesus, and they're going, Lord! You know, I mean, you can imagine, you're coming back after an experience like that. You're probably talking to everyone about it. Man, did you see what I did here? Did you see what I did there? And they come back, and they're saying, Lord, not only were we healing, but even the demons, they, they do whatever we say in your name. They submit to us. And then Jesus says to them, he goes, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You know, as they're coming to Jesus, telling him about their power, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, some of you, when you read that verse, you you may be thinking of uh, Revelation 12, when uh, Satan and Michael the archangel battle and Satan gets cast out of heaven. Or Isaiah chapter 14, where it talks about Isaiah trying to raise up and ascend to the throne of God and God casts him out of heaven. But the idea here, when he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning, there may have been some allusion to that. But but based upon the tense of the verb here, I saw Satan fall. Um, and in the Greek, it's an imperfect active. And I'm not going to bore you with the details. and I really can't anyways. But it, it, what, it, what it means is, it's better translated, I was watching. I was watching Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You understand, Jesus was with his disciples, right? Remember how he says, go into these towns before me. He's going to follow them into them. And they're going, man, Jesus, the demons were submitting to us. It was incredible. And he goes, yeah, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You know, they're going, man, it was just like his kingdom was just crashing in front of us. And Jesus says, I saw that. It, it, he was celebrating with them. And then he says, and I've given you guys, I've given you the authority. You can trample on snakes and scorpions, and they're not going to harm you. <laughs> Think about that. Go ahead, go step on a scorpion. See that rattlesnake? Go pet it. You know, 
Nothing's going to harm you right now. He goes, and you can overcome the power of the evil one. I mean, he's telling them, look, I've given you this power. You're casting out demons. You're stepping on snakes. I've given this to you. And they're just all fired up. It's like this rally. And then he goes, however, don't get all excited that the demons submit to you. Rejoice in the fact that your name is written in heaven right now. It's a very important point here. He says, this is all good stuff, but at the core of your soul, what should bring you joy consistently is the fact that your name is written in heaven. See, it's the idea of, a, of written in the book of life. If you have your Bibles, turn to the very end of it. Revelation 21. The second to last chapter of the Bible. See, Revelation 21 tells us about this book that Jesus is talking about here. Revelation 21, and it's several other places in Scripture too, in Hebrews and uh, other places. Uh, Revelation 21, verse 27, says nothing... It's talking about heaven in, in Revelation 21. It's talking about the, the New Jerusalem, this heavenly city. And then in Revelation 21, 27, it says, Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Think about that. What's he saying? He says there's this book. And and, and it's about heaven. And he says, you know what? No one gets to go into heaven except the people whose names are written in this book. And so Jesus says to his disciples, he says, look, you can rejoice about all these things. He goes, but don't go rejoicing in all these victories. Your ultimate rejoicing should be in the fact that your name's written in that book. I mean, that's the book of life. That's the book that tells you if you're going to go to heaven or not. I mean, I want you to think right now, what if I told you, hey, you guys, guess what I got? God gave me the book of life. I have it with me. Let's say I have the book of life right here in front of me. God gave it to me today to read to this service. What would be your first question? <laughs> Pretty obvious. Is my name in there? Is my name in there? Now think about it. I mean, this is the list of everyone that's going to heaven. What if I'm reading this? You know, imagine as I'm reading this, and I'm, I'm just naming names, and, you know, we don't recognize any of these names. And then let's, let's imagine I read your name. What would you feel at that second? Let's say I'm reading, and I'm going, okay, blah, 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 blah. Sandy Ferguson. <laughs> That's you. <laughs> you know, I mean, what would you feel at that moment of just... Man, I read it, and just to hear your name from the book of life, I mean, at that moment, you wouldn't care about anything else. It doesn't matter what else happens that day. It doesn't matter that you're married to Bob. You're, you're in the book, man, and just the joy of, man, I, I'm in that book. And he says, that's where your joy ought to be. And you guys, the thing is, the thing we have to understand about this is, yeah, wouldn't it be awesome if I sat here and read all your names? And wouldn't it be horrible if I didn't mention your name, or he said, hey, look mine up. It's like, uh, I don't see it there. I mean, this is everything. But the truth is, is I don't need that book in front of me to know that my name's in there. See, my name's written in that book. 
I know that. I know that for a fact. It, it, it tells me. I mean, turn back a few pages to 1 John. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Turn back like, I don't know, 10, 20 pages. 1 John 5 verse uh, 11. It says this. It says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. And then look at 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Why was this written? He says, look, if you have the Son, you have life. And he goes, and these things are written so that you may guess that maybe you have eternal life. Hope that you have eternal life. No, he says, these things are written so you may know that you have eternal life. I don't need him to open up the book and read Francis Chan. I already know it's in there. Why? Because I've given my life to Jesus. I've decided to follow him as my Lord and Savior. And so my name is in that book. And so I can rejoice. Because look, if I can't trust 1 John 5, how can I trust Revelation 21 that there even is a book of life? I mean, my faith is in this book. And this book tells me if I trust in Jesus, I'm in. And Jesus says that's what you should rejoice in, that your name's in that book right now. When's the last time you thought about your name being written in the book and you rejoiced? Have you ever? Have you ever just thought, Man, inside that book of life is my name. And rejoice in that. Because we'll rejoice in all these other things. I, I, I rejoiced on Easter. Easter was amazing to me. An amazing day. I mean, I mean, just the fact that it even happened. Um, you got to understand, the week before it was supposed to rain. You know, that Wednesday and Thursday is like 75, 80% chance of rain or whatever it was. And, and Moorpark called us and says, if it rains on Wednesday or Thursday, you can't have the, the meeting on Sunday. We're like... You gotta be kidding me. We got six thousand people, you can't just cancel it. Oh yeah? Watch us. You know, and it's like, you know, and they, they weren't being cruel or anything, they're just saying, man, it's just gonna be all mud and you can't go on the track. And it's like, wow, what do we do? Well, we pray. We pray. You know, the Bible says that Elijah, you know, prayed and he held off rain for three and a half years. So I was like, God, I gotta be good for a week, you know. <laughs> and uh, we start, you know, telling people we know, hey, pray, pray, pray. Pray. First time in my life, I asked God to change the weather, and He did. He kept it from raining, and then that day happens, and, and just being on the hill and seeing these people swarming into the, that stadium, and then and then when baptism, you know, when we backed up the 118 freeway, you know, with cars, it's like, yeah, you know, we caused a traffic jam. This feels good, you know. And then then we had service to end at a certain time, but we couldn't end it because we had too many people waiting to be baptized. I mean, what a rush! And that whole day, you ever been so excited that you feel like you're gonna throw up? No, seriously, where you're just like, you know, it's just, I'm just so pumped up. You know, it's like one of the most exciting days in ministry. And yet God says, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your name's written in the book of life. Your name's written in heaven. That's so much greater. You know, because if you get all fired up about ministry, what happens the next day? You know, that's when you get all the complaints. It was too hot. You know, and, and you know, you shouldn't have said this. You know, and it's like, uh, you know, it's up and down, you know. And so many things in our life are that way. They're up and down. But if our true joy comes from the fact that my name's in that book and the Bible says it will never be blotted out. It's never going to be blotted out. 
happens in other things. You know, we can be totally rejoicing, and then, you know, our cell phone goes off. You know, and it's just like, oh, man, you know, whatever it is, it's like things are up and down in life. And we just have to say, no, but no one's going to steal my joy. Because my joy is in the fact that right now, in heaven, there's a book. And my name is in that book. I'm going to heaven. Jesus here is filled with joy in verse 21. Look at verse 21 and try to figure out why is Jesus so excited? Luke 10, 21. It says, At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for that was your good pleasure. Why was Jesus full of joy? Anyone know? Can you figure it out from that verse? Okay. Come on, you guys are the ones that slept in. Every other service got it. (laughs) Okay, a little groggy. It's the idea of Jesus is filled with joy through the Holy Spirit, of course. And and it says, he, he prays to the Father. He says, Father, I praise you because you revealed this. You revealed your truth to these little children. He's talking about his disciples here. He's going, you know what, the wise and the learned, you've got to understand, in the book of Luke, it's a common theme where Jesus addresses how the religious leaders and the rich and the powerful really oppress the poor. And so Luke tends to emphasize the poverty of a lot of Jesus' followers. And he's saying, you know what, you, 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 you hid it from all these proud, arrogant religious leaders, and yet you revealed it to these little children. You revealed it to them. So Jesus was just so full of joy, and he's praising God. Why? Because his friends, these 72 disciples, got it. He goes, God, thank you for opening their eyes so that they could understand this. And he was filled with joy because these people that he's celebrating with, man, they're outcasting, they're showing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their lives. He's saying, God, you opened their eyes. Thank you. And he's full of joy because of that. I mean, really, for those of us who believe in Jesus, outside of our own salvation, is there anything more exciting than when the people you love get it? I mean, really. Is there anything greater than that? The the only thing more touching than watching the people get baptized on Easter was watching their friends and relatives around them bawling their eyes out. And when they'd come out of the water, just the hugs and the tears. That was the most incredible part of the day to me. Yeah, it was great that they got baptized, but did you see the looks on the friends and relatives? People who had been praying for years these people would get it, and in the moment they got it. For some of you, when you got it, you know your friends, your relatives, or you, you probably came out of that water going, man, why is everyone crying? Because you, this is the greatest thing in the world to us. You finally got it. God opened your eyes, and you understood. That that's, only, that's something that only God can do. That's what Jesus explains in the next verse. In verse 22, you know, he thanks God, and then in verse 22 he says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. And no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. He he says, look, he goes, I know the Father. The Father knows me, but that's it. And the only other people that get to know us, you know, the only ones that are going to get to know the Father is, is, is the ones that I choose to reveal Him to. And it's interesting because in John 6, 44, Jesus says, hey, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. It talks about this God element in the equation that only God can draw a person into believing in him and revealing him to to, to us. 
See, I can't understand God. God has to open up my mind, take the blinders off, and allow me to see him. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says to the Father, God, thank you, because you opened their eyes so they could see me. He says, because I know you, you know me, but no one knows us except for the ones that we reveal, we choose to reveal them to. You see, I, I have no power to make anyone in here believe this book. Okay, I'm powerless. Okay, that's, that's God's choosing. That's God's power. That's why we pray. If it was up to me, I would just, you know, try to get more creative and work harder on my message or whatever it is. But because it isn't up to me, I pray more. See, I, I can come to you and I could tell you, I could, I could come up before a crowd, any crowd, and go, you know what? You guys sinned against God. I could tell you that. I could tell you the Bible says that you deserve punishment for that. And I can tell you that God loved you so much that rather than punishing you, he sends his one and only son and punishes him on the cross. And that if you believe in what he did on the cross for you, that you will be forgiven of all your sins. That Jesus Christ died on the cross and he, he died and he rose again. And if you trust him as your Lord and Savior, then your name's going to be written in that book. I can tell you all of that. What I cannot do is get you to believe that. I have no power to get you to believe that God has got to take the blinders off of you. Open your eyes so that you would see. And this is why we pray. We beg and we go, God, please open their eyes. Man, it's up to you. You've got to choose. You've got to pull them. You've got to draw them to yourself. I don't know if you guys remember about uh, six months ago, I, um, I, I told you a story of, of how that week I, I spoke to this man who was 74 years old, dying of cancer, and I told him about Jesus. And, uh, and he just wasn't interested at all. Do you remember that at all? I just thought about, man, it just it blew me away. Because I, I specifically told him, I go, look, do you understand that if this book is right, I mean, you've got terminal cancer, 74 years old, do you understand if this book is right, then any minute you're going to come before God? And if this book is right, then that means you'll spend eternity paying for the crimes you committed, paying for the sin in your life. Just because you rejected his son. But if you believe in his son and believe that he took the penalty for you, you're forgiven of all that. You understand that? He goes, yeah. And you're not even interested? No. He goes, whatever happens is going to happen. And I just left there so frustrated going, what what more could I say? And there's nothing more I could say. I still remember, it was a Tuesday night and I I was just praying all night. I, I couldn't sleep. I'd wake up in the middle of the night thinking... Man, Lord, this guy is going to die. And he's just flat out rejecting your son, not even interested. You've got to change that. I can't, you know, write a better speech or whatever. I felt like I said everything. The next morning, I was speaking at, at Biola University. And I'm, I'm speaking in this chapel, this Christian school. And, and it was bothering me so much because I'm still thinking about the guy I talked to last night. And I stopped in the middle of the chapel. I go, you guys, can you do me a favor? Can we just pray for this guy right now? I know you don't know him from Adam, but would you just stop right now? Can we just all seriously pray to God that God would draw this guy to himself? We all started praying for him. Nothing happened, nothing happened. But then about a, about a month and a half ago, this guy calls me. And he goes, hey, can I talk to you again? So I drive out to his house and talk to him again. He goes, okay, thanks, and I leave. And, and he calls me again the next week. He goes, hey, can you come out again? Dude, you're in Newberry Park. Okay, all right. And, you know, I drive, no, I, I drive out there, and, uh, 
You know, and, and he, we're talking, and he goes, man, I just want to thank you. And I just really want to thank you. He goes, I, 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 I do. I, I go, I don't understand. I, I, don't, I think I believe. You know, tell me again. I, I think I believe this. Still have some doubts. We went through it all. And he goes, I, I do. I believe Jesus died for me. Will you baptize me right now? It's like, absolutely. And uh, I, I was at his house Tuesday night. And it's getting at the very, very late stages right now. But just the way his face lit up when he saw me, and just the way he grabbed my hand and just goes, thank you so much. He goes, I'm ready to go home now. I'm ready to be with Jesus. His wife tells me how, you know, he can barely move, but there's nights where she sees him get out of bed and get on his knees. She goes, what are you doing? Just praying. Just thanking God for what he did for me. And it's just a rush, you know, it's just a rush of... Just seeing this guy's excitement and this joy and his thanksgiving where six months ago he was just hard and cold and I was just so down because it's like I could do nothing for him. What changed? God drew him to himself. You see, it's, it's all about God. And for those that you love, it's about getting serious about just praying and begging God. And there's no greater joy than that than seeing them come to the Lord. This guy didn't even know. It was just someone from the church called and just met the guy, but you know, you, you just think about eternity and, and just what's at stake and the amount of joy that should be in our lives when people come to know the Lord. You see, Jesus ends this statement by saying in verse 23, he says, then he turns to his disciples. So after he says that, he turns to his disciples and he privately says to them, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Blessed are, for, for I tell you that, that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, do you understand how good you have it? Do you understand that kings, prophets, ever since the beginning of this book, they've been waiting for the Messiah. And you got to see him and you, you recognized him because God opened your eyes. You got to hear the words and really hear it. You, go, you know how many people want what you've got right now? This is what they've been longing for and you get it. Do you understand how good you have it? Man, and, and I, I feel like that's what... God is saying to us, do you understand how good you have it? Do you understand that all through the Old Testament, people have longed for this type of relationship with God? I mean, they had a relationship with God, but the the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, to be able to call God Daddy? See, they had a relationship and they understood, but they, they didn't get that intimacy with God. That's something that's new. Where God's Spirit dwells in us and, and we can cry out and call Him Dad, the God of the universe is my dad. Do you understand how good that is? Man, that your name is in that book and he calls you a child of his, those of you who believe in him. Man, and does that fire you up? Man, I, I, was, I was flying in a plane, you know, on, on Thursday and looking down and seeing the coastline and, you know, and I always love just seeing how small everything is and getting that perspective. But then it just hit me. It was like, I know the guy that made this my dad and he calls me his kid he he calls me his friend i am friends with the god of the universe and i just began to pray and go god i can't believe i know you i can just talk to you it's my dad my friend you made that you know we get so excited about all these other things and I, i hear people brag about hey i know kobe bryant great i know the guy who made him You know, we get so fired up 
about, man, I knew this person. I did this and that. And it's like, man, are we missing it? Or are we still rejoicing that our names are written in the book of life? That is my dad. That is my friend. And there needs to be a rejoicing that takes place over that, that, that is reserved for that and that alone. You know what I mean? The worship team's going to come up here and we're going to rejoice. But, you know, some of you guys, you know, we rejoice over other things. Some of you guys rejoice when the Lakers killed the Timberwolves this week. You guys were shouting, you're excited. But you know what? There needs to be a joy that's reserved for our salvation. That our name was written in the book of life. And as we sing, and as we worship, the, the usher's going to come and take an offering, but as, uh, as we sing and worship, you guys, would you worship God as though your name was just read from that book? Okay? I mean, imagine what that would be like. You know, that type of joy, that type of excitement, because your name is in that book. We don't need to read it out loud.